0: welcome back to the shepherd's pie a slice of faith for our messy lives i'm tony kolank a professor at ave maria school of law the father of five grown children and the author of inspirational fiction for teens and adults. Uh, speaking of which, in 2024, I'm gearing up for some new releases that you can find more information about on my website. I've got in March a book for young middle graders coming out from our Sunday visitor called Penny and the Stolen Chalice. It takes place in modern day times. And then in October, we finish up my Harwood Mystery Series with book six coming out from Loyola Press. So You can find all of that at AnthonyColink.com. But today we're going to be speaking with Elizabeth Gillette about reconciliation to God and to the church after abortion. My guest today is Elizabeth Gillette. She writes and speaks about how love conquers the greatest tragedy of our time, abortion. She's the author of Above All Love, Discerning Ways to Defend Life with Charity and Justice, and that's published by Our Sunday Visitor. Like so many women, she experienced abortion firsthand, and that traumatic experience shook her faith and caused devastating side effects. But through the saving grace of Jesus, she found healing and forgiveness, and she's now a passionate advocate for life, and she currently lives in Oregon with her husband and her four children. Elizabeth, welcome to The Shepherd's Pie.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting to be here.
0: Tell us more generally about yourself and your background and what you do when you're not traveling around the country talking about this issue.
1: Sure. So I actually was born here in Oregon, born and raised. I was baptized as an infant into the Catholic faith and had a beautiful childhood with a Protestant dad and a Catholic mom. Unfortunately, though, growing up, we spent a lot more time doing sports and schoolwork and kind of filling in our resumes as children than we did going to church. So while I had a wonderful, beautiful foundation, I didn't really have a good formation until my senior year of high school. Um, (laughs) So my senior year of high school, I went through RCIA and my... Easter Vigil in 2006 was the beginning of just a beautiful Catholic life for myself. And my mom was my sponsor, and it was just really amazing.
0: Very cool. It sounds like you came back to the faith as a teenager, and it it sounds like everything would have been going just hunky-dory with your faith. Let's talk a little bit more then about your story that has kind of led you to this place.
1: So like a lot of women in my generation, I was a part of the world. I was a product of public school. I was a product of what we see on television and all of the temptations of the world. And as much as I wanted to be pure and live in the faith and follow all of the rules and learn as much as I could about Jesus and as much as I felt that he wanted me, I was unable to follow that path without substantial difficulty. I wasn't able to stay chaste and it led to some really grave and deep sin in my life to the point where I um did end up getting pregnant in a crisis pregnancy and chose abortion with my boyfriend and you would think that that would be enough to come back to Jesus and you know realize that this deep pain that I was suffering from was because of the sin that I had Walked into and chosen, but it wasn't. And I lived in that dark place for several more years and continued to choose relationships that were unhealthy, continued to live ignoring chastity and ignoring what Christ was calling me to be. And I became pregnant again and I carried my daughter. She's 11 now and she's beautiful and amazing. And you would think that that might be enough, right? But like so many women today, I was seeking for love in a man, rather than seeking for true love in what Jesus had to offer me. And I became pregnant again. And I carried my baby to term and my son is seven now. And it was at that point with, you know, one baby in heaven and two on earth that I, I realized I can't live here anymore. This darkness, I felt completely closed off from Jesus There was something separating me from him and from all of his graces. And I was depressed. Um, My abortion had given me a a very terrible disease, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. I still suffer from that today. And depression and, and just bad relationships and feelings of unworthiness and guilt. And I was trapped there. I was trapped in the secret of my abortion. I didn't want to give that up. I felt that If I gave it up, then I would have to face it head on. And that's terrifying to admit to yourself, let alone to a priest and confession, and then to share that with friends and family. But I got to a place where I realized that I was either going to die or I was going to go to confession and I was going to ask Jesus to heal me. And I did go to confession. And I remember on my way to the church, this spiritual warfare was going on all around me and I could hear, you know, in that imaginative place of my soul, the devil was telling me, you could never go through with this. The priest won't forgive you. No one will forgive you. You're a murderer. You chose this. You did this. You are not worthy of anything but what you are right now. And it took so much courage and it really, really took, I think, my guardian angel holding me by the hand and taking me into that location, into that room where the priest was sitting. Before I went in there, I prayed, okay, Lord, let me do this right. Let me come out of here and have this not be wasted. I went into a room and there was a curtain up and I just took a deep breath and I said, okay, face to face it is. I let it all out. I said, I can't live like this anymore. I'm a broken person and and this part of me is going to kill me. And, you know, I had an abortion and I did that and I want to die like my child did. And after I received the sacrament of reconciliation, I walked out of that room just completely brand new, like a whole new life was set before me. But I think that I had this misconception that when I walked out, it was going to be easy but in reality i still had all of these things i needed to contend with and all of these habits and all of these ideas and it was not an easy road and and the road to chastity wasn't easy and the road to repairing relationships that i had ruined with you know my depression or my anger or my guilt that wasn't easy it was a road that took many years you know immediately it was worth it because i felt close to christ again i felt that he was fighting with me where before i had been I felt completely alone. But that reconciliation was the beginning. It was the beginning of a life not for myself. That is where I died to myself and said, okay, this is where I was when I tried to drive my own car. (laughs) You go ahead and take it for me.
0: This is a beautiful story and and you share it so honestly. Um, you know, my wife and I actually were also a crisis teen pregnancy. So maybe just going all the way back to that first decision, it's difficult for people who have not been in that position maybe to appreciate what it feels like and when they option. For abortion is out there. Can you maybe talk a little bit to that on just what was it that went into that first decision? And maybe even if you can also just, is there anything that anybody might've been able to do or intervene mm-hmm. with you at that point um, that might've made a difference?
1: You know, I was out of college. I had a college degree. I was working. There was really no reason why I couldn't have a baby and provide for a baby. But when I saw... A positive test. I was terrified because I was unwed and because people had said things to me through my life that made me believe that to be a single mother, an unwed mother, I would be judged horrendously. So I was very afraid of being judged. I was very afraid of disappointing people. When I told my boyfriend about it, the first reaction and the only reaction that I got from him was he said, this is the worst possible thing that could happen to me in my life right now. As a woman, to hear that from the person that you love is terrifying because that should be the person that stands up for you and supports you and defends you to all the other people that are supposedly going to be judging you. And so I felt completely alone. I also was deeply coerced by the abortion clinic where I went from the moment that I called them to inquire about options, to the moment that I swallowed the abortion pill because I had a chemical abortion, there was deep coercion. The first phone call I asked if I could make an appointment and if I could cancel it, would I have to pay? And they immediately started to impart this deep fear of immediacy. You only have so much time before you won't be able to have the chemical abortion. And then it's a surgery. And that's very dangerous and very scary and very painful. We need to get you in here before 10 weeks. If you're calling, then most women, by the time they call, they've already made up their mind. So just by you calling tells me that you want an abortion and just things like that. So we ended up making the appointment. And when I went, every contact point that I had with them I would say, you know, can I get a refund as we're pushing the $800 over the counter? If I change my mind, can I have a refund? I'm not sure about this. And they said, you can have a refund for only the portion of services that you do not receive. You know, the minute you go back into the room, you're going to pay for the room. The minute the doctor steps in there, you're going to pay for her. The minute you have an ultrasound, you're going to pay for that. And then I guess if at that point you don't want to take the pill, then you just don't have to pay for the pill, but that's only about $25. So there was no counseling. There were no options. There were no follow-up care. I think the most coercive thing that I experienced, and I have since then found out that this is actually a common practice in these particular clinics, I asked to see my ultrasound and they said no, that it wasn't their policy. And I said, I really need to see my ultrasound. Please show me my baby. And so the doctor turned the screen around so that I could see it. I've had four living children since then and many ultrasounds. And when the wand moves, the screen moves. The picture on the screen moves. Well, the wand was moving inside my body, but she showed me a still screen. There was no movement. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry to tell you this. Your baby is already deceased. You're going to miscarry. See, there's no heartbeat. And the shocking thing about this is the way that chemical abortion works is the first pill You ingest it and it stops progesterone from feeding your baby, essentially. It starves your baby. And if my child was already deceased and I was going to miscarry naturally, I would not have needed that medication. But yet they prescribed it to me anyway. You know, from beginning to end, this was a very tragic situation. I even remember on my way to the clinic begging God to save me, get me out of here. And, you know, it's a very irrational moment because you're terrified. And I remember thinking... If somebody was standing on the sidewalk praying that I would just run to them, I would run to them and they would rescue me. But when we pulled up to this squatty little building, you know, it's all gray. No one was there. And I was devastated. Like nobody cares. Nobody cares. All these pro-life people, they don't even care about me. Don't they know that I'm going to be here? Don't they know that I need them? Had someone been standing there, I would have five living children today. So you asked, what can people do? Be there
0: because of the ministry that you have now, you probably talked to a lot of other women who have had abortions. I'm wondering if the experience you just described, somebody who really sounded like you didn't really want the abortion and you were just looking for a reason not to get it, and you just never had that reason presented. Is that a common story you've heard from other women?
1: Unfortunately, it is common from the people that I have spoken to, right? I can only share what I have heard and. Yes, a lot of women do feel deep coercion. They feel a lack of support. The fear and the immediacy seem to be two very big driving factors. If you're afraid, you're vulnerable. And the abortion conglomerate in America feeds off and profits off vulnerable women.
0: Let's talk then about this beautiful reconciliation story that you shared. It sounds like you you hit rock bottom and that's what finally brought you around. Is that what it takes? Is that what people who go through these kinds of traumatic experiences, they have to hit bottom before they seek reconciliation?
1: This is a deep, deep secretive sin. And, you know, the devil owns our secrets, right? If we do not bring it into the light and we do not let Jesus's blood wash over it and we do not let the light of Christ clean that away from us, the devil owns that. So Women that have had abortions, and there are many, and there are many in our Catholic faith, many, there are women listening to this right now who are going to feel convicted hearing me speak about abortion because they haven't brought it to the light. They haven't gone to confession. They may not be at rock bottom because they may have a successful family. But what I have found is that these women have Difficulty in life, whether it be interrelating with other people or relationship problems with their spouse or not able to bond well with their living children or anger issues or depression and those things follow you on and on and on until you find that healing and as far as when you you're gonna find reconciliation that's between you and your conscience and God right some people may have you know a beautiful conversion right away some might not until years later I know many women that 20 30 years later finally come forward and say you know I did this and I I took away your big brother or your big sister and that's terrifying to do because the ripple effect right of this missing child is going to go on for generations you You have a child that's missing. So that's a sibling that's missing. That's somebody's husband or wife that's missing. That's somebody's professor. That's somebody's grandmother. That's somebody, you know, we have a generation that's missing millions of people, men and women who have participated in this atrocity, in this Holocaust. We have to take ownership for what we've done. And how do you reconcile? You take responsibility. Right. You take responsibility and you bring it before the Lord and you say, help me fix this. What do I need to do? And he will lead you. And it's hard and it's really scary, but it's definitely possible.
0: Yeah. And it's really amazing what you were saying about the devil owning our secrets. And then I think about like the Planned Parenthood, Shout Your Abortion ads. And I'm wondering, actually, in light of what you just said, is there some good in encouraging people to share their abortion? Because at least it's out in the open at that point.
1: Yes, I do encourage women to tell the truth about their choice, right? And I have found also that many women in the Shout Your Abortion movement, which, by the way, we also have one on the pro-life side, and it's called Shout Your Abortion 2, T-O-O too. You should check that out because it's pretty interesting. And also the Silent No More Awareness campaign has thousands of stories about abortion and true stories of trauma and what has happened to women. So people are talking. And I think that it is important because the truth is the truth. The truth is not relative. So if someone comes forward and says, well, I had an abortion and I don't regret it. Truth is truth. And that woman, regardless of whether she feels regret right now, has brokenness inside her because she's in a state of very, very deep sin, right? Whether you're a Christian or not, sin is sin. To live your life in that place, in that sin, has very dark consequences. And many women I have met have come from the pro-choice side after sharing their story, and it opens the door, right? It opens that door of secrecy. And then once they face it, they start to realize, wow, when I say it out loud, I can see what it truly is. I can feel what it truly did to me. And that's how many women have come to healing. And I think it's also important to talk about healing as a little segue here. We in the pro-life community have lots of healing options, but it's not a one size fits all. I did not go to a Christian healing retreat. I haven't been to Rachel's Vineyard, although I think very highly of it. And I think that if anyone can go, they should. Because of the complications of my abortion, I had just regular counseling because I had post-traumatic stress. I developed an eating disorder. So I needed to go to a counselor. And that's also not something that we should be ashamed of. If you need counseling, get help. If you're depressed, get help. There's nothing wrong with medication. There's nothing wrong with a service dog. You know, get what you need and trust that the Lord will be walking with you through that valley, right? Because he desires you to heal as much as as you desire to heal.
0: Absolutely. Going back real quick to the no regret situation, because I actually have met a few people who weren't like, I got my abortion, I'm proud and all this other stuff. But they were, I think they seemed sincere in saying, you know, I did get an abortion. And at that time, you know, it was what I needed to do. And I, I don't regret it. I think that was the right decision. They sound like they really believe that. Can you say something like if some of those women were listening to this, like, is it possible to find reconciliation if you don't experience that regret? Do do, do they need to feel that regret to be reconciled?
1: I think that that's a very common feeling for a lot of women because, you know, we justify our own sins all the time, right? I lied to you because I didn't want to hurt you. We justify our sin. And I think a sin, as deep and as painful as this one is, often it's, it's just difficult to live life without justifying it, firstly. Second, society tells us that abortion's okay. It's legal. It's, it's an option. It's taught to us in our public schools. Oftentimes it's free to have an abortion. The government will pay for it. So to see that society says something is completely okay, and then to make the step to understanding that it actually isn't okay, can be difficult. And I do know personally, many women also who say, no, it was right for me. And I did what was right. We weren't married. We weren't ready. We had too many. The way that I interact with those people is first and foremost with complete compassion because they are suffering still. The first thing I say is I am so sorry that you had to experience that and that you had to go through that. That must have been so difficult for you because even if you believe it was the right thing for you, it wasn't easy. It was painful, it was traumatic, and the repercussions are still there, right? So we need to meet everyone regardless of where they are with compassion and love first, always. No judgments, never. That's not my job, that's Jesus's job, and he'll take care of that. It's my job to show you the love of Christ. And maybe you believe that you did the right thing right now, but in two years, 10 years, 15 years, you might think differently. And guess what? I'm going to be here and I'm going to be able to walk that with you because I also experienced that, right? It's not my job to change someone's mind. It's not, but it is my job to show you love. And to show you how I healed and to show you what it did to me and to maybe draw some of those parallels. Wow. Do you think maybe your depression could have anything to do with that abortion? Do you think maybe this, you know, string of really bad, broken, abusive relationships might have something to do with your abortion? It could statistically speaking, abortion does cause those things. There are ways that we can minister to people in that situation too without overstepping, without alienating, without judging.
0: I realized then, as we're as we're actually heading towards the end of the interview, that we haven't yet talked about your book and <laughs> haven't even mentioned it. So let me uh, let's take this time. You have this book from our Sunday Visitor called "Above All Love: Discerning Ways to Defend Life with Charity and Justice." I suspect a lot of what we've been talking about you are addressing in this book. But maybe tell us a little bit uh, more about the book and also um, where people can go to get that book.
1: So this book is it's unique. It can be used by yourself or in a small group setting. It's a very short, easy-to-read book with very short chapters, and each chapter is concluded with a series of reflection questions. Those can take you maybe through some verses of the Bible. They can take you through some thought experiments, through some, some catechism questions, And the reason that it's set up that way is because the book is designed to take the reader on a journey inward through their own life, their own personal pro-life ministry, their own road to um, sanctification, and to see where God wants to reveal what they can do better, where they may be making mistakes what they may be doing well, and to also bring to the surface some of the major mistakes that we in the Catholic pro-life movement specifically may be making. And there are several that I see over and over and over again, and it's really difficult to save lives when we're making these mistakes. Some of them, for example, could be like just saying hateful things or judgmental things without really realizing that that polarizes us from vulnerable women or how to address people regarding adoption, because adoption is a really touchy subject for someone who's in a crisis pregnancy. Women often don't have the capacity to even consider adoption, and I have heard multiple times that to give your child up in adoption would be so painful, women would rather abort their child now and save their child and themselves from that separation. So, that's just something that people don't recognize as psychologically going on in these situations. So, this book is going to walk you through a plethora of this type of situations and scenarios. And at the end, you're going to find a beautiful examination of conscience and some handpicked prayers to help you on this journey. And I highly recommend that at the end of reading this and doing the study, you go to confession (laughs) because, you know, that's where my story began and that's where my book ends. The book is targeting the Catholic community. Okay. So my ministry isn't to go out and change people's minds on abortion. We have people that do that and they do that very well. My ministry is to talk to our own flock, our own Catholics and say, wow, we are able to do this a lot better. And I'm going to show you how to start and how to maybe fix it up and how to get going in a way that's pleasing to God and in a way that's in line with the catechism and the Bible. I'm going to sprinkle in my own story so that you can really emotionally feel what it's like for a post-abortive mom and for someone in crisis. Just open up that dialogue and get the Catholic community thinking about this from a position of compassion and a position of love.
0: So folks want to get a hold of the book Above All Love, and if they want to learn more about you, we where would you like them to go
1: sure you can come to my website which is elizabeth gillette g-i-l-l-e-t-t-e just like the razor author.com. and you can purchase the book there there's links that will take you either to our sunday visitors page that's our publisher or to amazon you can pick it up at barnes and noble walmart has it All of the proceeds from my book go directly to a local crisis center here in Salem. If I sell any books, if I get any check from our Sunday visitor, it goes right to Salem, right to life. So I like to send people to our publisher because I just love our Sunday visitors so much and I had such wonderful editors and I just want to shout out to them.
0: Yes, I've had a wonderful experience too because they're doing my penny and the stolen chalice book and uh, they have been so easy to work with and just so professional and wonderful. So yes, a little shout out to our Sunday visitor. All right. Final question then, I guess. If you had somebody in front of you and they're like, hey, I have somebody in my life, a young girl who's considering an abortion, what's your best advice for me to do to try to make a difference in that child's life?
1: It's a really good question. Of course, everything is going to depend on each individual situation. But the first thing that we can do as a community is to make sure that her tangible needs are met. Okay. Does she feel safe? Does she have a place to stay? Does she have enough money for food? Does she have someone that's helping take care of her? Is she able to pay for her ultrasounds and her doctor's care? Tangible needs first, because our fears are coming from our needs not being met. Okay. And once her needs are met, that's when we start to go a little bit deeper into how are you feeling about this, right? Do you want to be a parent. Why not? Or why? And at that point, you're building a relationship with her and she will tell you where she is and what she needs. And maybe, you know, there's somebody in her life that's persuading her to have an abortion and you can be her defender. I think that that happens a lot. Um, A boyfriend or a parent is persuading her or telling her, demanding that she get an abortion. And just having somebody that's on her side is so important that makes the difference. It really does. Removing fear and giving support. I like to tell people, you do not need to be afraid because we have guardian angels that are walking along with us that are so powerful. They draw these enormous swords that flames come off of and they just like hack away all the scary things around us, right? We don't need to be afraid. Whatever we're afraid of in a year from now is going to be gone and it's not going to have mattered. And On the way, you are going to grow past whatever that was that was scaring you. And if you let fear win right now, fear will steal your child from you. Do not let fear steal your child away from you.
0: Wow. That is a powerful line. This has been so wonderful having you on the show. I really appreciate what you're sharing and your your courage and your, and your candor to go out and talk about this. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It has been just a blessing for me and I hope it has been for you as well.
0: well it definitely has been for me and I think it'll be for a lot of other people. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for the show today. We've been speaking with Elizabeth Gillette about reconciliation after abortion. But again, this is Anthony barone Kolank. You can learn more about me and about my books on my website, antonycolank.com. But until next time, may God bless us as we rely on our faith to work through the messy challenges of our lives. <laughs>